Wow, what a powerful story. This Christmas, we have the opportunity to partner with Hope Unexpected as a church. And over the next year, to strategically partner with them and what they're doing in our community. Their facility, you may not, or you may know this, is less than a mile away from our building right here. And uh, we want to partner with them because we believe that God has called us not just to have great experiences like this, but to look outside of ourselves and to say zero lives and change doesn't just stop in our own lives, but it stops when every life has had the opportunity to encounter the love and the goodness of Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to conspire together because uh, she reached Susan, the executive director, reached out to one of our families in a, that's in a small group here at the center asking, can you provide some gift cards? Because we've got about 25 women who are part of our program that just don't have the financial means to really bless their kids with Christmas gifts this, this year. And so we talked about it and she's, uh, the woman from our church sent me a message and just said, hey, can we do this? I was like, absolutely, yes, you should go for it. And then I started to think, I was like, what if instead of just one small group blessing this program, what if everybody in our church got together, conspired, and just poured it out on this program and just said, guys, we love you and we're for you, and we want to bless you generously this Christmas season. So if that stirs your heart, if that's something that you know you want to be a part of, all you need to do is simple is you need to go out. Maybe you go grocery shopping on Mondays or maybe go another day. What we're gonna do is buy gift cards for Hope Unexpected and we're gonna bless them with those gift cards. And so over the next couple weeks, you'll hear more. You'll get something in your email as well as on social media this week, kind of giving you some more info about it. Uh, but let's conspire together and let's be outrageously generous as a church this Christmas and bless people like Rachel who need someone in their life to walk along alongside of them. You'll hear more info about how we're going to support and partner with them this whole next year. Uh, but this is kind of our first step in just saying, hey, we love what you're doing and we want to bless it and support it and make Christmas great for these families. Sound good? You in with me? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Waiting for When. You should get that. Wow, that was a long 30 seconds. I hate to wait. I don't know about you. That was 30 seconds to me just standing here felt like an eternity. And I do not like to wait for anything. Our culture is built for fast, quick, and speedy things to happen. We do not like waiting. We talked a couple weeks about how, about how Taco Bell uh, was supposed to take two and a half minutes and took me 22 minutes. I mean, you know, if you know me at all, is I do not like to wait. I do not have the spiritual gift of patience. Maybe you have that gift. I do not have that. And if you have it, I'd love to hang out with you more and hopefully it'll rub off. I hate to wait. Now, here's what I know. I can think back just a year and a half ago, Lindsay and I were prepping to move here. We just got our apartment. We're moving in, getting settled, figuring out the area. And I realized, oh my goodness, my driver's license is about to expire. And so what I had to do was go to the DMV. Yay, like waiting 101 right there. And so I took one of those horrible tickets and I sat there and I waited and I waited and I waited 
And I waited, and 45 eternal minutes later, which you're like, that's pretty quick for the DMV. It is, but it still felt like an eternity. And so 45 minutes later, I get my license all sorted out, go home, and I had already missed a meeting by that point, and I was just like, I was glad to be out of there in that amount of time. I, I hate to wait. And here's why I think I hate to wait. And this may be true for your life as well. Could just be me. Waiting makes me feel unimportant. Like waiting makes me feel like I've been set aside. Like, hey, we've got someone right here and you can just take your little ticket and you can wait for, I don't know how long. Could be half an hour. The timer's never right. Could be two hours. Like you just don't know until you actually get it to the counter and get your stuff done. But waiting makes me feel unimportant. It makes me feel like I don't have that much dignity as a human being. And you're like, man, you're overstating this. But wait till you're on the customer service line with your car insurance. Wait till you're on the customer service line with your phone provider. It's like, man, things just take so long. None of us really like to wait. And we can identify with things like customer service taking too long. Or you send an important text. And you're like, I kind of need to reply in the next couple minutes. And it's like the next couple hours they get back to you. You're like, that time in between. You do not like to wait. Maybe you shared your feelings. You poured your guts out about this, this girl or this guy. And you're like, I'm just going to share it all. I'm going to lay it on the line. I'm going to say how much I love you. And then you've got to wait. And they don't respond. They don't say anything back. And it's awkward and it's, it's weird. You feel like you've been set aside. You feel like you're not that important anymore. And uh, whether or not they reciprocate, the waiting is what kills us. It's that time in between. You've been to the car mechanic and you sat down to get your wiper blades replaced and you ended up getting a new engine and then maybe even a new car. And the whole time you're sitting in this really weird room with bad coffee, spotty Wi-Fi, weird shows on the TV, and you're just waiting. You're sitting there for so long. I remember this past summer again, I had something, I had alternator to go out on our car as I'm driving to the mechanic, which worked in my favor, but it made me wait like three times as long as what I was planning to wait. Now, internally, when even we do this spiritually, when we're with God and there's a season of waiting, or maybe you're waiting to hear from him or you want him to do something, there's this awkward moment in between when you ask and when you experience something. And if you don't hear from God, you feel like you're waiting on him, it's easy to feel set aside. It's easy to feel unimportant. It's easy to feel like he's abandoned or forgotten your situation. And when that happens with God, it's not just kind of a funny thing. It, it brings about feelings of worry in us. Uh, fear starts to creep back into our heart. We start to worry, uh, should I have surrendered my life to Jesus in the first place? Maybe I should take that back. Uh, it starts to get stressed because we start to control and figure out our own lives on our own terms. But I think all of us, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a disciple of Jesus in the room or not, you've probably felt forgotten and set aside by God in some season of your life. And when those seasons come, and when those tough times fall upon your life, we just got into a series called Voices in the Wilderness. When you come into the wilderness season, when you're in the waiting, how you respond and how you react and how you think about God could literally change the trajectory of your life. And I know this because the scriptures point out story after story of people who had to wait on God and then he shows up. 
But in the waiting, it really determines what kind of disciple of Jesus you are. And we want to be good disciples. So we study the scriptures then to find out what are they saying to us about waiting. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to the scriptures right now. And I want you to get to Luke chapter 1. Luke is this gospel account of everything Jesus said and did. In fact, it's a collection of eyewitness accounts. Luke was a doctor as well as the companion of the Apostle Paul. So he knew Jesus. He knew the teachings closely. And he wanted to make sure, he says this right at the beginning, that he could collect the most accurate picture of what Jesus said and did. His whole life story, his ministry in this gospel account. And in Luke 1, he points out a story that if you've read the scriptures, you maybe have glossed over. A story that maybe in your own day-to-day life doesn't feel that important, but a story that talks about waiting and what it's like to be set aside by God. You and I can identify with this story. We're going to start and jump ahead to verse 11, but before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about this guy named Zechariah. Zechariah is a man who's in his 90s. And by this point, he had waited for those entire 90 plus years for God to provide a kid. Some of you have wrestled with infertility or know people that have or wrestled through adoption and fostering processes, and that is so difficult. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were uh, likely waiting for nearly 100 years for God to provide a kid, specifically in this culture, a son, to pass on the family tradition to continue to live out the faith that Zachariah and Elizabeth had. They were incredibly righteous, devout, holy people. They were fully surrendered to God, even in the waiting of their life for this child. And we read, in, uh, an angel comes, and we read in verse 11 what happens next. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Not a bad name. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, fair question. How can I be sure of this? Last time I checked, there's not a lot of 90-year-olds that I know having babies. I don't know what your life is like. I don't, I don't know a lot. So the question's fair. He says, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. That's a really nice way to put that. Good one, Zechariah. The angel said to him, I'm I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. See, Zechariah, for 90 plus years, had felt set aside by God. Elizabeth, as a mom, felt set aside by God. In first century Israel, to be childless meant that you had something spiritually broken in you. That as people looked at you, if the children are blessing and if they're the fruit of a righteous life and of of a good Christ-following life, of a good holy life, 
as you look at people who didn't have kids, you would kind of, uh, like they must have done something. Like there's some secret sin that they've got and they don't want to reconcile it. There's something that they do that's just, it's not on track with what God wants. We know that because they don't have kids. So not only is there a great deal of insecurity and shame, but financially and even physically as a 90-year-old person with nobody to care for you and no family, you're in some trouble. There's some hard times that you're going to face or they were facing. So not only is there shame from a cultural perspective, but there's some real practical problems for Zachariah and Elizabeth this late in their life. There's strain, there's, there's issues. And so when Zachariah asked the question, how can I be so sure of this? None of us think that's too crazy because it's like, yeah, how is this gonna happen? But there's echoes in this story of a story, if you've been around the scriptures, you're familiar with. The story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, old people. I mean, they're well above 100 years. And in this season of life, they get a promise that they're going to have kids. And we're, not ta- we're talking triple digits here, okay? Like, this is a real miracle if this takes place. And so Abraham asked the angel very similarly to Zachariah, uh, how are you going to pull this off? Are you, are you sure? Like, are you, do you have the right Abraham? Like, I'm 100 plus. I don't know if this is going to happen the way you're saying it's going to happen. Abraham communicates this, and, and Sarah overhears uh, this conversation taking place, and Sarah laughs. It says she laughs not with joy, but like with fear. Like, what? Like, are you sure that's going to happen? It's kind of like a nervous laughter. And it's the exact same question. How can I be sure of this? How are you going to pull this off? I'm old. I'm 100 plus. Sarah, my wife, she's well along in years, right? Like there's some very real obstacles to this miracle taking place. But beyond that, Abraham and Sarah, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, had felt set aside by God. They were part of a people who lived and staked their lives on the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of their creator. And yet, there's a promise unmet. They're in a season of waiting, They don't have kids. Life is getting hard. They are strained financially. There's cultural pressure and they're stuck in the middle. They're in that weird waiting period. And all of us, even if you aren't wrestling with this specific issue that both of these couples did, you know what it's like to be set aside by God in your life or to at least feel set aside by him. I mean, I could think back to seasons of my own life in which I asked some very real spiritual questions and I wrestled with doubt and I wrestled with, is there any logic and reason to my faith? Is there any real purpose to my life? Is there any real meaningful uh, relationships I can have? I was asking all of these existential questions and uh, truthfully, if you got to the core of why I was asking that, it's because I felt set aside. Maybe in a relationship right now, you feel set aside. Maybe when it comes to your money and how God's going to provide and give you a way out to provide, when it comes to your finances, you feel set aside. Maybe there's an illness or a test or a cancer or some other thing that's going on in your life or in your family's life. And, and when it comes to those situations, you might feel a little bit set aside. But there's hope in Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, and we're going to find out even more about it as we go on. I even think about the video we just watched of Rachel's story. Rachel, who's part of Hope Unexpected. And I, I know the statistics, you may know them as well, that last year in Kent County alone, there was nearly 5,000 teen pregnancies and births. 5,000. 
Some of you have kids. Some of you know what that's like. I have a, a sister who's just coming out of the teenage years. I mean, I think about her like five years ago, like having a baby and all the complexity that brings. Many of those teen moms are by our culture and even by our churches, which God help us, are set aside. Not important, not our problem. They got themselves into this. It's their issue, hands off, set aside. And yet God speaks even in the midst of that to families wrestling with those issues and there says there's something more. This story points to something more. I love how Luke 1.18 in the message version paints the picture of Zachariah's questioning of Gabriel's words. This is what we read in 118. He says, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. Like he, the NIV puts it a little bit softer, but it's very blunt. Like it's very much questioning. There's some real waiting and some real issues. Here's what I think Zachariah and Elizabeth maybe didn't understand. Maybe they come to understand it. Well, as the story unfolds, you see, and maybe that we as Christians often understand as well, misunderstand as well. That when we think God is setting us aside, he's often setting us apart. That when there are issues in our life, when we feel forgotten, when we feel abandoned, when we feel unimportant to God, our very creator, often we think he's setting us aside. He doesn't care about me anymore. I'm still sick. I'm still broke. This relationship is still broken. My marriage still sucks. And you go through all these lists and you think God has set you aside. It's often that he's setting you apart. See, the part of the story you don't have in here, that only through knowing the entire scriptures would you see, is that for 700 plus years, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, people just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, had heard nothing from God when it came to his promise to send a Messiah. Centuries went by, nothing. God wasn't speaking. God wasn't saying anything new. It's one page in your printed Bible. It's one swipe in your digital Bible. Malachi to Matthew, though, is a 700-year period in which God says and really does nothing new when it comes to his promise to send the Messiah, to send, king, uh, send a king, send a ruler back to the earth to establish God's good and perfect kingdom. Nothing. They were in the waiting for centuries upon centuries. But yet, through this story, we see God was setting them apart. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to skip ahead to verse 59 in Luke 1. And here's what we read, that God gives them a son. He told Zachariah, call him John. And he didn't maybe even full know, fully know why that was yet. But here, here's what we read, six, seven months go by. And it's time for Elizabeth to have, a, have the baby. She gives birth to her son. Her neighbors and relatives are gathered around. They're excited for her. They're sharing it with joy. Here's what we read in verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, which is Jewish custom. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 no. He is to be called John. They said to her, uh, Elizabeth, there's no one among our family who has that name. No one is named John in our family. They even made signs. They did sign language to Zechariah the father to find out, what would you like to name the child? Your wife has got a crazy name. Uh, John, this doesn't even work in our family line. It doesn't even rhyme with our other kids. Like it, it just doesn't work. John is not fitting in this equation. Verse 63, Zechariah grabbed an iPad and to everyone's astonishment, 
I'm sorry, this is a different translation. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. See, John the Baptist was evidence in this story that God was setting Zachariah and Elizabeth not aside, but apart for something unique and something different and something breaking into the course of history, which would change our world forever. See, John set the way for Jesus to come and to lead us not only to the cross, but to a resurrected life. John is not being set aside. He was being set apart. There's all sorts of clues we have. Verse 15, we see that he wasn't supposed to drink alcohol. It was a Nazarite vow, something that was indicated throughout centuries of Israelite history of setting yourself apart for God's purpose. Skip ahead to verse 16 and 61. He's not named Zachariah Jr. He's named John, which was unique in that time period. Zachariah Jr. or Zachariah would have been a natural name to pass on the lineage, especially with people nearing a century old. You want to pass on the best of who you are. You'd likely give him your name, but they don't. They give him the name John. And then the next element, he will have a prophetic voice, a voice in the wilderness. He's going to make clear a way for Jesus to show up and bring salvation, not just to the Jews and the people who were good, but to the people who were broken, the Gentiles, the outsiders. He was going to graft them together into one kingdom. And John's prepping the way for Jesus to show up and do that work. Picture with me uh, for 30 seconds. Use your imagination. Uh, let's pretend together that plates, like the things you eat on, have a personality. My mom has a hutch in her house full of the nicest china plates that I, I've ever seen. They're beautiful pieces. And, and they overlook, again, if they had a personality, they overlook our dining room table. Now think with me if you're one of those fine china plates. Pretend you're in the plate. You've got the plate's brain. You've, it's got a personality. It's not just an inanimate object, but it's there. It's got, it's got a soul. It's got a personality. Now if you're that fine china watching the regular old plastic plates get used week after week, day after day, it's probably easy for you to feel like you've been set aside. Like you're in this hut, you're collecting dust, you're brought out two or three times a year, and you're not that important. And the regular plates and their personality are probably really stoked. Like, yes, that's right. I got nachos and cake and everything else that you guys eat every week, right? You don't eat nachos and cake every week. Okay, that's fair. I, I misjudged. It's not a fat joke either. Let's move on. So let's pretend the regular plate has the same kind of dialogue with himself or herself and says, hey, I think this is awesome. This family uses me every day. I may not look great, but I'm brought out every single meal. Anytime the kids are home, they're getting me. Anytime there's like a toddler in the house, I get used by that toddler. Anytime they miss a Frisbee, they, they come and use me. Like it's all these internal dialogues. Now we know, snap out of all that. Now we know as human beings, and I know my mom would say the same thing, that the fine shine is not set aside. It's set apart that there are specific days and purposes to which that china is used. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, significant birthdays or milestones or anniversary dinners, whatever it is, that stuff gets brought out. It's handled with care. It's been hand-washed. 
and it's dried and put back into the hutch for the next special and significant day. See, that, that fine china plate could think it's being set aside. And I guess logically, in a way it is, but it's more than being set aside, it's being set apart. The regular plate doesn't have that same privilege. It's used every day. It may not be set aside, but it's clear that it's not set apart. When I think about this, I think about one of the areas that this, this part of my life breaks down most often. It has to do with this word habits. This idea that the things I do every single day over and over again are really, if you add them all together, is, is who I am. The habits I have ultimately reveal who I am, what's important to me, what I spend my money and time on, where my relationships revolve around. Those habits show up as part of my character. They make John, John. And I think the thing, if we wanted to turn the corner in our lives from, from feeling set aside to living set apart, you and I would begin, and maybe just in baby step ways, but you and I would begin to practice holy habits. I'm not talking about the fact that brushing your teeth is wrong. I'm not talking about that checking your phone when you get up is making you a worse disciple of Jesus. But what I'm saying is, have you thought about the habits in your life that are really forming you day after day? And the longer those habits go unchecked by Jesus, the longer they just become our default kind of mode of operation. They just become who we are. And we don't even think about it. We drift into it. If you and I want to stop living set aside and start living set apart, we will begin to practice holy habits. One of the things I look back over my last year, I really want to get good at journaling. It's almost 2019. John's not good at journaling yet. <laughs> but I know that it's something that as I look at 2019, I want to get really good at. Not because I like writing, because I don't. Not because I like my handwriting, because I don't. But I know that by journaling, I'm reflecting and seeing God's goodness and his faithfulness in my life every single day. It's a holy habit. Worship on Sundays. Why is it important to show up here every week? For some people, it's not important. They don't come every week. It doesn't matter. It's not a priority. But people who value worship, people who are committed to every single week, whether it's here or some other space, saying, God, you're the most important thing about my life. And surrendering day after day to that, whether it's in the quietness of your room or right here on a Sunday morning, it's a holy habit. It's forming you into something. What you watch on TV, what the habits you have form you into something. The kind of person you become is ultimately an inventory, a full list of the habits that you practice every single day. And God works, us in, works on us in the waiting, and usually it's through our habits, giving us new habits. That's why for the last couple weeks, 21 days rather, our church has been journeying through 40 days of prayer and fasting. It's because it's a holy habit. It changes us. It gives us a different perspective. And maybe you take those guides every week and maybe they end up in the car, or maybe they end up in the trash. But for some of you, you've adopted some of those prayer and fasting challenges. You've been hungry. You've given up social media. This next week, you'll give up something from the Daniel fast. You're, you're gonna do those things because you believe deep down that those habits are forming you into something. They're changing you slowly but surely, and they're helping you not just feel set aside by God because you're probably in a waiting season or about to be in one, but they're helping you to be set apart even in the waiting season. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth were faithful. They were obedient. They were doing the right thing. See, the part we didn't read was that Zachariah was called to ministry. He's serving in the church when this vision of the angel comes. 
He's doing God's work. He's, he's faithful. He's steadfast. He's doing it day after day. He's staying obedient. He's practicing those holy habits. And if you and I want to learn to live set apart lives, that's all we have to do is start to adopt those and to replace the habits that maybe don't help us live well as a disciple of Jesus with holier habits. And it's not a matter of legalism or, or kind of formulating your life to where you've got all these boxes checked. No, holy habits are grace-filled. They give you energy. They motivate you because you and I can't really change our own lives. You probably have tried. There's probably a reason that you're here. And I, I can look back at my own life knowing that those are one of the things that have tripped me up was just those day-to-day -day things. But if you want to learn to live set apart, you and I will practice holy habits. Because friends, here, here's what Jesus wants for us. And selfishly, I would like it for us too. But here's what I know the scriptures point out. That the people who practice holy habits, who really learn to live set apart and not worry about them, am I set aside? Does God love me still? Because his promise is yes, unconditionally will love you, unconditionally provides for you, unconditionally has the best as a heavenly good father would. But often when it breaks down is when you and I start to, to question that. And to think, maybe God has set me aside. And friends, if you want to follow Jesus, but the whole time you're thinking about your life as being set aside, here's the kind of person you will be. You will be bitter, angry, resentful, and exhausted. You won't live the kind of life that Jesus offers in Matthew 25 of a yoke that's easy, a burden that's light. You just won't live that way. But if instead... You decide to live with holy habits, to live set apart, to trust God, even in the waiting, knowing that his promise is gonna come through, maybe not even in your lifetime. You and I will have lives of joy, hope, peace, and God's grace. We'll be different people. We'll be changed and transformed. And friends, that's what it means to live set apart. That's the kind of people God wants to create in you. That's the kind of people that God wants our church to be. That's the kind of people that, that lives that are affected by things like Hope Unexpected or other ministries, they need to see our world is desperate for lives that are set apart, practicing holy habits that change our lives day after day after day. Would you join me in prayer together? Father, I know that in this moment that there are people in significant seasons of waiting now, whether it's money or a career change, whether it's a relationship that's yet to be mended, whether it's a kid that's yet to come back home, they're waiting. And I'm waiting. God, you know what I'm waiting on. So Father, our prayer together as a church right now is that you'd help us to live set apart even in the waiting. They'd help us to trust you. They'd help us to put our hope in the right place that you'd help our habits to reflect a deep devotion and, a, and an allegiance to you. Thank you for the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Thank you for, for people like that who just in the midst of intense seasons of waiting still trusted you. And even though they questioned you, stayed obedient and faithful to your promise and you set them apart for a purpose they could have never imagined. So God, that is my prayer for us this morning. That's your prayer for us today. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for chasing after us. Thank you that even though there have been moments, maybe we're in one right now in which we push you away, we rebel against you, we say we don't need that or we don't need you right now. 
that you still chase after us. You pursue us. Your good news to us is that no matter what we have done or who we are, you can make us new people in Christ. So thank you for that good news. Thank you for the joy and the hope of Christmas. We love you and surrender uh, just for a new day, for a new time, once again, to your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen.